You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science alone. Welcome to Unbiased Science where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer. And Dr. Andrea Love. And boy, do we have a doozy of an episode for you guys today. Today, we're going to answer the question, is homeopathy legit? We get so many messages about this topic. Um, We did a deep dive into the science, or lack thereof, behind homeopathy, and we're going to dig into it today. Before we do that, Andrea, did you want to recap last week's episode? Yeah, so last episode we talked about uh, food sensitivity testing and whether or not they actually can give you an indication of whether or not you are sensitive to a given food. Um, We brought on Dr. Dave Stukas, who is a clinical allergist and immunologist, um, to help us discuss the immunology behind it. And ultimately, in a nutshell, we talked a little bit about some true um, reactions to foods, things like food allergies and food intolerances. Um, which are looking at either an allergic reaction to foods which are mediated by this IgE um, immune response versus a food intolerance which there's more gastrointestinal re- related like a lactose intolerance. And then we talked a little bit about the the vague term um, sensitivity and why it's not really founded on anything scientific, which ultimately led us into a discussion about the principle of these food sensitivity tests, which actually don't tell you anything about your sensitivity to them and rather simply tell you whether or not you've been exposed to them at some point in your life. Um, So definitely check that out. We talk a little bit about some of the basic immunology and then we dig into kind of the finer points of the testing principle itself. And how cool was Dr. Stukas? I just want to go get a beer with him or something. (laughs) Definitely. Once COVID is over, we'll have to get together with him and his wife and all the other folks over at the hospital he works at. (laughs) Seriously. And and honestly, if you haven't tuned into that episode, you really should. That industry, um, you know, the food sensitivity test industry is booming. And if people tune in, they might be able to save themselves some money. Um, And also he... He spends a lot of time on social media dispelling other misconceptions about food allergies and food intolerances, um, and you can definitely follow him at Allergy Kids Doc. All right, so let's dive into today's topic, homeopathy. So Andrea, I'm just going to set the stage for the homeopathy market and industry. I think it's very important that people be reminded that this is an industry, just as on our last episode, we spoke about the food sensitivity testing industry. These are all industries. So I'll talk about that, and then maybe you can take us through the the history of how this all came to be. Um, So according According to the National Institute of Health, the NIH, more than 6 million people in the U.S. use homeopathy to treat specific health conditions, and over 200 million people use homeopathy on a regular basis 
worldwide. And homeopathy is a form of alternative medicine, and I use that term loosely, and we'll talk more about that obviously on this episode, based on this concept that the body can heal itself. And there are certain guiding principles that I know you're going to take us through in just a little bit. Were you at to I was just going to, yeah, I was just going to jump in, Jess. You know, I often say alternative treatments or alternative remedies because there's that little, you know, adage that if alternative medicine worked, it would be called medicine. That's what I've gotten into the habit of of saying over the years. (laughs) So just a little bit more. So there are more than 8,000 homeopathic remedies that are available over the counter. And most users will self-prescribe products for common issues such as cold symptoms or mild pain. And actually just a little anecdote, my first introduction to homeopathy, I'd never heard of it. Um, but about 10 years ago, I was staying with uh, one of my in-laws and <laughs> she was very well-meaning, I, I, I think, I'd like to think, but I was having, I was experiencing a migraine. And when I asked her if she had any Tylenol or anything, you know, over the counter that I could take, she handed me homeopathy, some sort of a, a remedy, and um, basically <laughs> did absolutely nothing for me. Um, But yeah, so more on that in just a little bit. Have you ever taken any homeopathic remedies? (laughs) No, I haven't. But they've been recommended to me many, many, many times throughout my life. All right. So homeopathy is a 1.2 billion with a B dollar industry in the U.S. alone, uh, used by about 5 million adults and 1 million children. Homeopathic remedies uh, are readily available at many high-end health-focused chains such as Whole Foods and Sprouts and Ralph's and uh, Walmart. And analysts project that the global homeopathic market will grow by 12.5% by 2023. So the U.S. uh, homeopathy market was valued at $4.6 billion in 2020 and then is projected to reach $13.5 billion in 2028. So the people behind this industry, let's, you know, let's just be real here. They're making a lot of money on homeopathy. So what is homeopathy? Let me, can I just say one more thing, Andrea, before you give Oh yeah, please. Of it? Um, Absolutely. So homeopathic products come from plants. So uh, red onions, arnica, and I know you have a lot to say about arnica, Andrea, <laughs> um, poison ivy, belladonna, um, minerals such as white arsenic, uh, and even animals such as crushed whole bees. Homeopathic products are often made as sugar pellets to be placed under the tongue. They can also come in other forms such as ointments, gels, drops, creams, and tablets. Now, this is something that I had I never knew. It's that treatments are quote unquote individualized or tailored to each person. And so people who sell these treatments, they'll often say that, you know, it's common for different people with the same condition to to receive different treatments. And that this is why the the standard RCT, the randomized control trial model that we tend to use in science, just doesn't apply to homeopathy because it's so highly individualized. And I have a lot to say about this. Yeah. Hold, hold, hold it just for a second. Um, the last thing I'll say is that you know, Andrea, I know you and I were saying that a lot of people sort of misidentify homeopathy as 
natural and, and describe it as being plant-based or herbal medicine. But a lot of people have a lot to say about this. And there was actually this book published by, I, I hope I'm not mispronouncing this, Edzard Ernst. Uh, he wrote a book in 2016, Homeopathy, The Undiluted Facts. He's a physician, a researcher, and he is a noted skeptic of homeopathy. And he said that there's really nothing natural about homeopathic uh, remedies. And in fact, some include um, alcohol exposed to x-rays to minimize the effects of radiation therapy, and actually fragments of the original Berlin Wall to quote-unquote cure a patient's communication problems. So obviously these treatments are less common, and we're going to talk about some of the more common homeopathic treatments during this episode, but we just wanted to, to note that that label of natural is not necessarily accurate. And also, you know, we're going to do future episodes on other sorts of natural treatments, natural remedies, um, you know, herbal tinctures, things like that. But but I do think it's important to understand that homeopathy is a very specific subset of these alternative, you know, remedies or therapies um, that's very distinct from some others. So can you talk to us about the history? How did homeopathy come to be? Sure. So homeopathy was started by a German physician called Samuel Hahnemann in the 1700s. And he was a bit of an outcast or an outlier in the context of mainstream medicine. Because ultimately in the 1700s, a lot of mainstream medicine, you know, was not well defined. There was high rates of complications from any sort of medical procedures. We didn't really understand a lot of science at the time. Um, so a lot of, you know, what we would call mainstream medicine was was useless or even harmful. And so, you know, he basically developed this, this method, this homeopathic treatment protocol. And at the time, it potentially looked promising because, you know, what we'll learn about in a minute, um, doing nothing in the context of homeopathy actually potentially led to better patient outcomes and, and could be safer than some of the other fringe treatments or, you know, what we know to be fringe now um, that were used at the time, things like bloodletting. Um, but homeopathy in and of itself is based on two key principles. The, the principle of what we say like cures like, which is the law of similars, and the concept of potentization through dilution, which is basically the minimum dose principle. Um, but basically what these mean is that the like cures like is the law of similar. So basically the, the principle is if a given remedy causes a symptom in a healthy person, then the remedy could then be used to treat that symptom in someone who's afflicted with it. So um, an example of this that we actually use on a on a podcast post was onions can cause eye irritation and eye watering in normal people could be used to treat asthma or hay fever and allergies. So because it causes eye watering in a normal person at a full dose, you could then use it to cure someone of afflictions that lead to eye watering. Can I can I jump in with one thing? Yes, sorry. please. Okay. There's so much we want to say. So, and actually, the the etymology of the word homeopathy is like disease, right? So mm -hmm. homeopathy, or yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, 
Um, and I've heard a lot of people compare this to vaccines and say that it's based on the same principle, right? Yes. That we're, okay. And I'm sure you have. And I'm going to, yes, I'm going to definitely talk about that because there are obviously some key differences, but, um, but yes, but yes, that's, that's a, a false equivalency that, that people often try and draw there. But so, so you have this like, like cures like, or the law of similars. And, and this kind of originally started because Samuel Hahnemann was eating the bark of the cinchona tree to cure malaria. And he ingested the bark and he actually developed symptoms similar to the symptoms of malaria. And so this whole concept, you know, kind of was born out of this observation. And, and cinchona in and of itself actually has quinine in it, which we, we know is actually an antiparasitic that can be effective against malaria. And so, you know, a lot of these things... Um, in homeopathic remedies are based on herbs or, or things like that. But as just mentioned, some of them are, are you know, somewhat ab- absurd, like pieces of the Berlin Wall, because it's a physical barrier. It could ultimately be be treated to treat, treat things like separation anxiety, um, you know, psychological barriers and things like that. Um, but on top of this like cures like principle, Um, You also have this concept called potentization, which is the minimum dose. So very different from things like vaccines or other things that we're going to talk about is basically the principle is a substance or a treatment or remedy becomes more potent the more it is diluted. So it's based on this idea that the water that the substance is diluted in has memory of the substance itself, even when the substance is no longer present. So this process involves what we call serial dilution. So usually um, orders of 10 or 100 full dilutions at a time and a process called succussion, which is basically shaking the substance. And so as you success these, these solutions, it preserves the essence or the energy of the substance even as you're diluting it further and further and further. And so you have this like cures like, which... I guess in some realm, it it could have a little bit of logic to it, but then you dilute it past the point of the substance not even being present in the solution anymore at all. So when you're actually looking at these homeopathic remedies, you have this whole dilution process. And homeopathic remedies, anytime you buy one, are represented by a number and a letter. Um, And so the number is telling you how many times the substance was diluted, or if you have to dilute it at home, how many times you have to perform that dilution. Um, And then you're going to have letters, which are going to be typically either an X, which is a 1 in 10 dilution, so one part of the substance to 10 parts of water, versus C, which is a 1 in 100. So if you see a homeopathic remedy at the store and it says 12C, that means the original substance, was diluted one to a hundred initially, then shaken or succussed, and then you dilute that another one to a hundred. So you take one part of that solution, dilute that another hundred times, and you do that 12 more times. So your ending concentration of this 12C solution is one septillion of the original solution. So that's one with 24 zeros, or it's a, in percentage form, 
and I hope I counted all those zeros right. But basically what that means is that solution, this homeopathic remedy that you now have, that's a 12C solution, um, is more dilute than taking a cup of whatever substance in question and pouring it into the Atlantic Ocean. And if you can imagine that, that's pretty dilute. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I really, I can't, I, I, we have to underscore what you're saying right now. It's this mm-hmm. idea that the lower the dose, the more potent the remedy. I, I really, it's hard for me to wrap my, my mind around that. Um, and the fact that so many of these things are so diluted, as you just described, all those zeros, that they, they literally contain no detectable yes. molecules Correct. of the quote-unquote mother tincture. Yes. So so if you're talking about like a tablet version of something like this, ultimately what you're going to be taking is a sugar tablet. And if you're talking about a liquid solution, it's just water, essentially. Um, there's literally nothing in it. So, you know, you hear these things, oh, the Berlin Walls used to treat separation anxiety, but, but in the actual homeopathic solution, it's so dilute that there isn't any Berlin Wall in there to begin with. And, and these these companies are making billions of dollars off of basically selling people sugar cubes and and water, which is kind of terrifying. Now, Andrew, you were touching on something before. I think it's really important that we spend some time talking about, you know, how did homeopathy come to be popular? And at Mm -hmm. the time, what you were saying is, you know, there were, in the late 18th century, medicine revolved around balancing the four humors, right? And that was done through things like bloodletting, which we obviously know today is quite um, dangerous. And so homeopathy was far less invasive, and it really attracted a lot of followers. Exactly. Um, And actually, the American Institute of Homeopathy was founded in 1844, which was three years before the American Medical Association, which which I thought was really interesting, (laughs) except that obviously conventional medicine has evolved quite a bit since the bloodletting days, whereas homeopathy has really maintained its original dogma. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, research study design and how it really is not appropriate to be used for homeopathy because of the inherent challenges and, you know, testing causality and relationships with homeopathy. But um, before we do that, I want to talk about a couple of examples of more common homeopathic remedies because we use the Berlin Wall example because it's just very outlandish. But, you know, things that you're going to see at the store, one example we talk about is um, oscillococcinum. And and a lot of people use this. This is available at Walgreens, CVS, Walmart. It's in the pharmacy aisle, you know, your cold remedy aisle. Um, and, and I'm I want to use this because on our homeopathy post, someone mentioned it. So one of our amazing interns, Kelly, actually went to Walgreens to verify the dilution factor of oscillococcinum. And it's it's um, it denoted a 200 CK. And K is actually a method of how these dilutions are performed. But basically, 200 means it's 
200 times diluted and the C is one per 100. So in my previous example where I said it was one septillion times diluted, that was a 12 C solution. This is a 200 C. So that means it is diluted one to 100, 200 times. That's one part of the substance, oscillococcinum, into every 10 to the four hundredths parts of the solution, which means that it is functionally not there because that's actually estimated to be a bigger number than how many atoms there are present in the universe. So again, it's water. But but oscillococcinum is is marketed to cure and, and reduce flu-like symptoms. It was actually named by a French physician, Joseph Roy. And it was actually, it's a funny story because he misidentified what he called oscillating bacteria that he named oscillococcus um, when he was collecting samples from individuals who had the Spanish flu back in the early 1900s. Now, oscillococcus is not actually a bacteria. Um, we're not sure exactly what he saw when he was looking at these things, um, but the oscillococcinum treatment is derived from basically a, a paste or a maceration of of duck organs, duck offal, um, predominantly liver and heart. And then again, it's diluted 200 C. So 200 times 100, 1 to 100. So it's 10 to, four, to the 400th parts water. So again, yes, it's duck liver and duck heart, but again, there's really nothing in, in that besides water at that point. Now the K there is what they call the Corsacovian method, which is how you actually do the dilution. So if you see this K there, basically what it means is you use the same tube or the same vial for all the dilutions. So you do your first 1 to 100 dilution, then you dump out 99% of it, and then you refill it again to dilute it, and then you dump out 99% of it, and you do that however many times that number is. Um, And this is often referred to um, as rinsing by people that are skeptics of, of homeopathy. So oscillococcinum has nothing in it besides maybe some sugar, um, but, but water, ultimately. Two other examples I really want to talk about um, because <laughs> this one in particular just kind of baffles me. So there's another one called metarinum, um, and this is used to treat ailments supposedly caused by suppressed gonorrhea infections. Um, And these ailments, if you look at a homeopathy website, pretty much include anything. It could be used for um, chronic pelvic disorders, rheumatism, irritability, disturbance of the nervous system, pains, anxiety, uh, dwarf or stunted children, enlarged tonsils, mucus, um, discharge, etc. And it's claimed to be prepared from the gonorrhea bacteria. Remember, So gonorrhea is caused by a bacterial infection. It's easily treatable with antibiotics, um, which actually eliminates the illness. So um, that's beside the point. But it's prepared from the gonorrhea bacterium. And the advertisements say, fortunately, the patentization process removes the bacteria, but retains the energetic effects so that a safe but effective remedy is created. So basically they're saying, okay, so yeah, once upon a time had the gonorrhea bacteria in it, but we diluted it so much that there's no bacteria left, but it has the energy to cure you of all of these ailments. Now, Andrew, did you tell me that homeopathy is very popular among the running community? Yeah, 
And, you know, I don't know if it's because they don't actually know what it is that they're using, um, but there's a very popular homeopathy company, and we're going to talk about them specifically in a moment when we talk about some of the safety issues. Uh, but they sponsor or they um, they allow runners, local runners, to be what they call a brand ambassador. So you get, like, a jersey with their logo on it, and you get free products and stuff like that. But one of the things that I see athletes using all the time or purporting to use all the time is something called Arnica. Um, and, and you've probably seen it at the store, Arnica gel, Arnica tablets, things like that. Arnica in and of itself is an herb that grows in the United States and Europe and is actually highly toxic if consumed. It causes rapid liver failure and and potentially death. And it's actually classified as an unsafe herb by the FDA, which is actually quite unusual. But the reason that it is is because it's used in homeopathic remedies. Um, So homeopathic remedies claim to tout relief of things like osteoarthritis, joint pain, bruises, muscle aches, and it's and it's marketed as tablets, as gel, as liquid, etc. But again, you know, arnica as a homeopathic remedy is highly diluted to the point of again not having any arnica in them. But there's always the caveat that that might not have been properly prepared and you might potentially be consuming a toxic herb that was not diluted um, appropriately. Now, because um, because this is something that you can somewhat define a, a research study around, um, there actually are some placebo-controlled trials investigating the potential benefit of homeopathic arnica. So a meta-analysis after excluding studies that were very um experimentally flawed, looked at eight placebo-controlled trials that were comparing homeopathic arnica to placebo and found no difference between homeopathic arnica and placebo because, of course, it actually in and of itself is a placebo. It's it's water or it's a sugar pill or whatever because it's diluted beyond the point of having any of that tangible substance in it. So I'm I'm glad that you're that you're getting into the actual science of it because I was really digging through the evidence because you know we're gonna have people listening to this who say oh I took a homeopathic remedy and it worked for me. Um, of course, we know that anecdotes uh, do not uh, substantiate you know real real science, and and I just could not find anything credible um, that that supported the effectiveness of homeopathy. And actually, on the NIH's uh, website, they have a whole page dedicated to homeopathy and the bottom line listed at the top is that there's little evidence to support homeopathy as an effective treatment for any specific health condition and then with regard to safety and I know we're going to talk about this just a little bit um, some products labeled as homeopathic may contain substantial amounts of active ingredients and could cause side effects and drug interactions um, so there are a lot of issues with uh, with homeopathy and, and, and why we certainly do not recommend it. So as you're saying, you know, sometimes it's, you know, we'll see a placebo effect and it's just a sugar tablet. And and that's that might be OK unless you're foregoing actual medical treatment. If you if you know, if you need medical treatment and there is a treatment, an actual evidence based treatment available and you're foregoing that that care, right? Then that, that could certainly be problematic. Um, I was also coming across some, um, some studies that show that, uh, certain homeopathic remedies can actually contain 
these um, heavy metals like mercury or iron that are not highly diluted, or they may contain alcohol. Uh, the FDA actually allows higher levels of alcohol in these in uh, liquid homeopathic products and in conventional drugs. Some homeopathic practitioners, they say that they'll expect some of their patients to experience homeopathic aggravation, which is a temporary worsening of existing symptoms after taking a homeopathic prescription. Um, and so, you know, researchers haven't really found much evidence of this reaction in clinical studies. Um, but research on this, quote unquote, homeopathic aggravation is scarce. There, the FDA has also warned consumers about different products labeled as homeopathic. So in 2017, the FDA alerted consumers that some homeopathic teething tablets had excessive amounts of the toxic substance belladonna. And in 2015, it warned consumers not to rely on over-the-counter asthma products labeled as homeopathic because they were not evaluated by the FDA for safety and effectiveness. And just, you know, the teething tablets was actually one of those specific examples. So this was actually a brand called Highlands Teething Tablets. And it was found over a series of years that it was causing seizures, loss of consciousness, delirium, and even death. Um, nearly 400 babies uh, were hospitalized as a result of these homeopathic teething tablets, and at least 10 deaths were associated with it because of these toxic levels of belladonna, which is your deadly nightshade. Well, that's terrifying. Um, so, Andrea, I know that there are certain, and I'm sorry, I don't know if, if you were going to talk about this. I don't want to go out of order here, but I figured you'd have something to say about this, that there are certain homeopathic products called Am I butchering this? Nosodes or homeopathic yeah. immunizations oh, yeah. that yeah. have been promoted as substitutes for conventional immunizations. Did you want to? Yeah, and this is kind or? of the uh, this is kind of the Aaron Rodgers uh, controversy, and that's really why we started talking about homeopathy because he said that he was immunized using homeopathic methods, which are what these these nosodes claim to be. So basically, just like any homeopathic remedy, they are highly diluted substances uh, to the point of not being any substance. So nosodes claim to be vaccines by basically what they do is they take homeopathic preparations of diseased tissue or discharge from a person that's supposedly afflicted with the illness. So if you're saying say we're going to make a no-sode for influenza, maybe it's a um, mucus secretion of someone who had the flu and presumably has the flu virus in that mucus secretion. Um, but again, like any homeopathic remedy, they're diluted past the point of having any meaningful amount of that initial substance to begin with. Homeopaths claim that they are both preventative and curative, so you can take it in advance, but then once you're actually sick with a given ailment, you can take it and it'll cure you. Um, and these are used more ubiquitously elsewhere in the world than in the U.S. But according to the European Coalition of Homeopathic and Anthroposophic Medicinal Products, 95% of homeopathic doctors consider nosodes an important part of their practice. In Canada, as of 2016, nosodes need to be labeled with the warning, this product is neither a vaccine nor an alternative to vaccination. This product has not been proven to prevent infection. Health Canada does not recommend its use in children and advises that your child receive all routine vaccinations. And this really brings up the, the, the issue that you just said, you know, 
Maybe homeopathy is benign if you're taking it in conjunction with traditional medications, but if you're foregoing vaccinations, routine vaccinations that are demonstrated to be effective in favor of these no-sodes, that's extremely dangerous both for you and as a public health measure. So there have been a couple of uh, randomized controlled trials that have compared the efficacy of no-sodes actual vaccines and placebo and when you look at antibody production which is usually our first indicator of an immune response against an antigen um, the no-sodes of course showed antibody responses similar to placebo which is typically an injection of salt water so again they're not vaccinating you they're not protecting you they're not leading to the production of antibodies all of which are things that vaccination does you know, and, and it brings up the point here is that we have this often false equivalence about people who are like, well, you know, when you have a vaccine, you're using a harmless component of a virus or a bacteria or an inactivated version of it to, trigger, to trick your immune system and to trigger that immune response. So, so it's like, here's like, it's like homeopathy. And, and yeah, I guess really loosely, but the fact of the matter is with a vaccine, you're actually using a measurable quantity of that substance that is in fact harmless, that will in fact trigger an immune response because your immune system recognizes that as foreign and it, and it develops that memory immunity. With no-sodes or with any homeopathy, um, it's diluted to the point of not having any of that substance in there. So, you know, you can say it's like cures like, but at the end of the day, there's nothing in there. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So a lot of people who are proponents of homeopathy will say that there is, there's so much evidence to support it, right? And that we're just, um, we're, we're ignoring all of this evidence that supports the effectiveness and safety of homeopathy. And a lot of them point to this um, report published by the Swiss government. So in 2011, the Swiss government published a report that was commissioned following a 2009 referendum in which the Swiss electorate decided that homeopathy and um, other alternative therapies should be covered by private medical insurance. And so before implementing this, the government wanted to establish whether homeopathy actually works. So then in February of 2012, this report, which takes the form of a health technology assessment, published in English and was immediately proclaimed by proponents of homeopathy to offer conclusive proof that homeopathy is effective and safe. However, the <laughs> there are so many scientific, logical, and 
ethical flaws. There's actually no new evidence. It completely misinterprets studies previously exposed as weak. It's it's a total, total um, disaster. It even attempted to discredit, as I mentioned earlier, RCTs as the gold standard of evidence, saying that it's all about individualized medicine and you can't use RCTs to study them because it's so specific to the individual. If that's the case, we, we, then this is just, it's, there's no science to support it. We need RCTs to control for all of the other factors that might be contributing to outcomes, right? To control for what we call confounders. So the fact that proponents of, of homeopathy say that RCTs don't apply, to me, that signals there's no science to support what we're mm-hmm. saying, right? Um, yeah. I mean, you can't you can't cherry pick and say, well, this is so advanced that, you know, it can't be tested in an RCT because, you know, these sorts of things need to be reproducible. Um, and yeah. even if it's individualized, like you could look at something like cancer immunotherapy, which is actually personalized and individualized, but on a population scale, it is still, in fact, reproducible compared to placebo or compared to standard of care when you have a study cohort. Right. So basically, so much of this, I mean, it's just totally, totally, totally debunked. There's not a shred of scientific integrity <laughs> integrity here. So we discount that completely. Um, and then there was an actual credible review published uh, by Australia's National Health and Medical Research Council. This was a massive review. It was 57 systematic reviews with a total of 176 individual studies. And that found um, no reliable evidence that homeopathy is an effective treatment treatment for any condition. So yeah. those actually and, were well designed. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I understand, you know, people are frustrated. They're not feeling well. They're looking for alternatives, you know, and, and a lot of people use anecdotal evidence for the fact that homeopathy works. And, and, you know, as you talked about, there's a lot of confounding variables. We know that correlation does not equal causation. There are many reasons that people could feel better after a homeopathy you know, homeopathic remedy, you know, as I said, if you're, if you're doing it in combination with a conventional treatment, it could be the actual conventional treatment, but, but you're, you know, personally, because you have a bias, you're giving homeopathy the credit. Most illnesses, you, you just get better over time. So, you know, you, since you can't do a randomized control trial on yourself or have, you know, the counterfactual where you have one world where you didn't take homeopathy and the other world where you did, you don't know that, you know, you just got better because you were getting better and, you know, homeopathy just, you know, was, was happened to be there and and didn't contribute to that. Um, And then you also have this, this phenomenon called regression to the mean, where basically when you actually take medicine or, or something you believe to be medicine, you're taking it when you feel really crappy, when your symptoms are at their worst, especially if you have a chronic issue. Um, And so when you go back to baseline, you, you're like, wow, I feel great. You know, whatever I took happened to help me. And of course, you have reporting bias, which is true in pretty much every instance. But, you know, you have this internal bias. You take something and you expect to feel better. And and so then you're more often likely to report that you feel better after taking it. And actually, I have to say one other thing about that Swiss, I don't want to call it a study, report, (laughs) was that they supposedly reported all the conflicts of interest, but totally ignored that there were major conflicts of interest, financial conflicts of interest. Um, Many of the people who 
uh, co-authored the report, were a part of the homeopathic industry, and were profiting from the industry. So anyone who cites that Swiss report really needs to to understand the the, the major flaws there. So I, I do want to let folks know that homeopathic products are not FDA approved. So all you people who aren't getting the vaccines, uh, you know, the, the Moderna <laughs> vaccine, because it's not FDA approved, but if you are taking homeopathic products, you should know that they are not FDA approved. Um, in 2016, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, actually began a major crackdown on um, homeopathic remedies, mandating that they clearly state that they are not medicine. And now these homeopathic remedies websites have to, um, they legally are required to include a disclaimer that states uh, claims based on traditional homeopathic practice, not accepted medical evidence. Um, in twenty in October of 2019, the FDA withdrew previous rules regarding homeopathic medicine and published revised homeopathic draft guidance. Um, according to the FDA, the increase of homeopathic product availability coincided with an increase of reports of toxicity and adverse reactions. And some specific medicines are mentioned by the FDA as the result of a concern for safety. And uh, Andrea, I think that includes the teething tablets that we uh, yes. were talking about earlier. Absolutely. So again, you know, this concept of, you know, I think this is now the third or fourth time we're saying it, you know, yeah, maybe you're just taking a sugar tablet, maybe that, you know, that's that's okay. But there are some real concerns Concerns here. There have been reports of toxicity. Um, they're not FDA approved. There's no science to support any kind of effectiveness. Um, so I- I'm not quite sure um, why people continue to take <laughs> homeopathic remedies. <laughs> Well, you know, and I was going to I was going to say, you know, that really, you know, when people are like, well, what's the harm of taking it? And of course, you have the fact that if you're foregoing legitimate treatment for a medical issue, you know, that's that can be potentially deadly in and of itself, depending on what you're taking homeopathy for. Um, You know, many homeopaths claim that you can cure or treat every ailment, you know, that exists. But it, you know, obviously is just promoting this, this pseudoscience belief. But on top of that, some of these treatments, some of these substances that you're buying over the counter without a prescription, because they're not FDA approved or really regulated for safety, can be in fact dangerous by themselves. Not only are they not going to help this ailment you're taking it for, but they can be harmful. And and that is really something to keep in mind. Um, now, I think before we kind of get toward the end, um, you know, there are different guidance um, for homeopathy in other countries. So in India, for example, there's a governmental department called the Ministry of Ayush, which is Ayurveda, Yoga, Naturopath, Unani, Siddha, Sawa Rigpa and homeopathy. Um, and this particular industry in India is a little bit more complex and nuanced um, because homeopathy actually happens to be integrated within their healthcare system. Um, the Indian healthcare system is often very overloaded, and many homeopathic doctors actually do have some traditional medical training. Um, so it becomes somewhat challenging to draw clear distinctions 
um, from treatment treatment practices there. And according to The Lancet, about 10% of India's population depends solely on homeopathy for for medical care. Um, Now, it was interesting because the Ministry of Ayush promoted homeopathic preparations um, as prevention for COVID, but then they also advise things like hand washing, masking, staying home when you're sick, etc. And, you know, so we want to applaud them for that. But of course, we, we want to make sure that people don't have a false sense of security because, again, homeopathic remedies are not going to cure or treat someone who has COVID. Should we talk about the UK a little bit and one of their... Yeah, um, yeah. Do you want to chat sure. about it? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to start? Sure. So homeopathy in the UK. So homeopathy is no longer provided as part of the National Health Service um, after this research review was conducted, again, you know, showing that homeopathy, uh, there's no effective, there's no science to support its effectiveness. And this was largely thanks to the Good Thinking Society and Michael Marshall for petitioning the National Health Service. There's a really cool campaign. I think it's really cool. Andrea, you're, you're, you probably want to be the one to discuss the 1023 campaign. <laughs> please, please. Okay, go for uh, it. <laughs> all right. So the 1023 campaign, which was started in, in 2010, 2011, um, it was coordinated by by this organization after, you know, people were, were coordinating this mass overdose of homeopathic pills. And the whole principle was to show that homeopathic pills don't actually do anything and the tagline was there's nothing in it um the name 1023 for all of you chemistry nerds is based on Avogadro's constant um and that 1023 6.022 times 10 to the 23rd is the number of molecules in a mole or mole day um and the whole concept is you know once you dilute something beyond you know 12c which is that 12 of 1 to 100 dilutions, there's not likely to be a single molecule of the original substance left. And that was kind of the whole principle of this campaign, um, which I think is really cute and clever. But, you know, it's unfortunate that so many people have kind of bought into glorified sugar pills, unfortunately. All right, Andrea. Well, I think we covered this topic pretty comprehensively. Uh, the the TLDR is that there is no science to support homeopathic remedies. <laughs> um, yeah, and there might they might actually be harmful um, since some do contain substances that may be harmful, and uh, it could also be harmful if you're foregoing actual evidence based treatment uh, for a, for a medical condition that you may have. So absolutely. Um, And the very last thing would just be, (laughs) sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go on. Take it away. Oh, I was just going to say the the very last thing is, of course, you know, we know that some people got very heated. Um, You know, homeopathy is a very specific subset of alternative treatments. Um, It is not to be confused with all sorts of natural or herbal or, you know, other sorts of remedies. Uh, We will talk about some of those on future episodes. So thank you for joining us today. We hope you learned a thing or two. And if you like our pod, please share with your friends and family. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Please visit our website at www.unbiasedscipod.com. You can check out our show notes. You can listen to old episodes. You can pick yourself up some merch. You can leave us a donation. And you can use our searchable source database. We have been working so hard on this. You can go to our sources. You can type in 
any keyword, it will give you all of the references for a given topic, whether it's a podcast episode or a post, and you can actually access them directly. Next week, we're switching things up a little bit. We're going to have a little special science episode with some props, Um, and there might be a treat in it for you too. Uh, So make sure to tune in to that. You're not going to want to miss it. We will continue to provide updates on COVID-19 on our social media accounts as well. So be sure to follow us there on Instagram and Facebook at Unbiased SciPod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist.